sandals are awesome. Yeah. That's how you do it. That's how you do it. So, how's everyone? Yeah. How was Restore Weekend for everyone? What'd y'all do? I know, like seven days ago feels so long ago. I don't know. <laughs> watch soccer? That's cool. Did you play or you just watch? I did both. Nice. All right then. Did you watch soccer as well? Did you cheer? Cool. Cool. <laughs> Anyone else? What'd y'all do? I'm really asking. Um, I just like. Ate good food and just sat around and read a book in the sunshine. Get out of here. Pumpkins and then watched. Did the Astros play Sunday night? They didn't play Sunday night. That was the epic. Yeah, game that's what I did. Nice. That was the game I should have watched. Yeah. That's the one ever, all of us should have watched. Yeah. <laughs> you excited about that, by the way? Okay. <laughs> right, yeah. I just needed you to be able to get it out, man. That's fine. We love you. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. Okay, so real quick, not real quick, let's, let's discuss something before we get into uh, kind of this end of chapter five. We read a long um, group of, of verses, a big chapter, or whatever that you want to say about that. But let's talk first, though. Here's, here's the question I want to ask. Let's start naming some things that have happened that seem to be, this is probably a bad analogy, but what has been so far the like key ingredients to this recipe that is the early church thriving? So what are the key ingredients to the early church thriving? Meaning, Growing, changing things, you know, doing good work, all those things that, that Ephesians would describe that we just read, you know, doing the things prepared for them to do beforehand, all this kind of stuff, kind of being, um, everything being necessitated on the Spirit of God that Ephesians talked about also. What are some of those things? Continuing to meet together. Okay, no. they continue to meet together, doing what when they meet together? Right. It seems to do normal life together, right? They don't, it doesn't just look like this when they get together. It's kind of what I think the early part of Acts is trying to describe. They're not trying to des- describe necessarily how to do a church service. It's kind of what we should understand. It's just how to live. Okay, what else? They're healing and they're meeting needs in different places. Okay. Healing would describe what? The miraculous. The miraculous is happening. Also, needs are being met. What else? They're all sharing and trying to do communal living style. Right, right. They live very communally. What else? And I think it's good for, I think, did you say trying? Yes. Yes, I think that's important. It's, this is still so early. They really are trying to learn how to live differently. Okay, so we we can I think find some commonality with that and some kind of ease with that. The way they were living was not the way just their culture lived in general, so it worked well to keep doing it for the church. It's similar to us. Sort of sharing everything you have is not common <laughs> to us either, right? It wasn't to them. That's why it was reasonable enough to write about it. That's why it was reasonable enough to people join it and be intrigued by it and start coming and also sharing their things. It wasn't like the norm. If it was the norm, it wouldn't have been a big deal. 
for them to share their things. We wouldn't have had to be told that they did. So it's, it's important that you said trying, honestly, because they are. They're trying to do this. They're trying to figure it out. What else? A few other things. I think they're seeing themselves in Scripture, right? They're reading through and they're starting to understand their story in the context of God's larger story. Because of what gift? The Holy Spirit. Right. Holy Spirit has come, thus enlightening on a lot of different things, right? They can kind of see inside scriptural history and inside Jewish history where they fit in, right? They're starting to see kind of how that works. So again, let's name them again. What did we just say? There's been, they have sharing, right? They're learning to share. They're learning to share. It's like my sons. They're, they're learning to share. Very hard. Very difficult, right? Right? So they're learning that. You don't have to learn to share yet. Just take everything. It's the only time you get to, bud. Just do it. Just do it. Because he looked like he was covering his ears. He's like, no. No, I will never do it. I cannot. Um, so they're sharing. The Holy Spirit is kind of given this new... Um, enlightenment sounds dramatic, but it is. It's like this enlightenment, this power, whatever. Um, there's the miraculous happening, right? What else did we say? Yes, they're living communally. So we're about to see a few other things that seem to be very, very key ingredients as the church has two things happen. Okay? Um, as we see martyrdom begin to take place, and as we see the dispersion take place. Okay? As we see the gospel and the kingdom of heaven move past. Jerusalem itself, which is what Jesus asked for it to do, right? But right now, we're, we're here. We're in the new early stage of doing that. As we see it leave and, and kind of scatter and go crazy in the world, and as we see it begin to, to take martyrdom alongside itself, we see a couple of things here in this next passage that seem to be overly key ingredients. Now, Here's what I don't want us to immediately try to do. I don't think that they mean that we have to have this happen for the church to move forward. But it seems in many times in history, these things are present and necessary for that to happen. Okay, So let's just take that for what it is, but let's get into Acts 5. So turn to it or your phone out or look at the screen or whatever, um, and we'll look at Acts 5. Can anyone say what happened in X, the first part of Acts 5 real quick, though? It was two weeks ago, so if you don't, I can rehash it real fast. After Ananias and Sapphira, what happens? You always ask this so point blank, and it's just, like, really hard to recall. It's all right. I understand. That's why I'm saying, like, if you don't, you don't. At least I didn't say, Caitlin, what happened? In chapter, 12, chapter 5, verse 12. Anyone? What's it describing? It's describing a culture of the miraculous, right? Kind of what Brian was mentioning. It's describing a culture of the apostles are just... Healing is just happening all over the place, right? It's overly just a miraculous, strange... If strange in a positive way, it can be said. Of the church. To where people are bringing sick people from all over. All over the city. People are hearing that these guys are doing this. So they're bringing sick people so that when they walk by, their shadows fall on them, which is, again, so interesting. And, again, we're seeing so many parallels of Jesus' life with the apostles, which Jesus said would happen, right? 
He said, you will do these things and you will do greater things through the Spirit, through the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit will see you do greater things than the things I've done in the world. So we're starting to see some of those things. Very, very interesting, very strange. And then we have this. But the high priest rose up and all who were with him, that is, the party of the Sadducees, they were filled with jealousy and they arrested the apostles and put them in public prison. But doing... But during the night, an angel opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, Go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of life. And when they had heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. Okay, just right here. Let's not pass over this. This is so wild to think about. Okay, so the political, basically the one of the two main political parties that's involved with this Jewish state right now um, are the Sadducees. Sadducees, it's important to know just for history-wise and for things that come later in Acts, but Sadducees don't believe in the resurrection. I have this old professor in college. This is super cheesy. I'm going to tell it anyway. This professor in college say, you know, the difference between Pharisees and Sadducees is a million differences, but the biggest one that separated them and made them two kind of political entities was Pharisees believe in the resurrection and the Sadducees didn't. That's why they're sad, you see, because they don't believe in the resurrection. It's terrible. Awful. Awful, right? But it's helped me remember it and I can quote it to you now. But, so they don't believe in the resurrection, okay? And they are kind of the ones pushing this, but the Pharisees are involved. So are some scribes and the main uh, representatives of the different Jewish villages here. And they bring them and they arrest them, Right? Now, again, I think because we have heard so many stories like this in Scripture, or we, whatever, I don't know what, but being arrested because of this is not just they're just arrested. This is a big deal, okay? If you heard, I was arrested this weekend... And you don't know what it's for. There's immediately going to be some oddity about that, right? You're going to be like, why was Austin arrested? What did he do? It's probably going to be your first thing, right? What did he do to be arrested? And then it's probably going to cast doubt on... It might cast doubt on my character, who I am, if I needed to get arrested for something, right? All this stuff. That's the point of them doing this. They are, they are doing something, putting them in public prison... To show everyone, these people aren't who you think they are. They are worthy to be arrested. Right? So again, it's not just like all the people understood, oh, those mean Sadducees, they're just jealous. No, not everyone thought that. A lot of people probably wondered, why the heck were they arrested? Right? We hear way too often about pastors getting arrested, and so when we do, we think really bad stuff. We don't think they said something to the political establishment to make them upset, right? So this is a big deal, okay? We can't just see it as like, oh, well, of course they did because they were jealous. It just said so. Well, that's not what it said to everybody, you know? So they have them arrested. They put them in public prison. But what happens when they're in public prison? Oh, just an angel comes and says, hey, come out of jail, which I don't know even, I don't know the nuts and bolts of how that took place, but that's pretty awesome. Come out of jail. Tomorrow morning, you need to go speak in the temple again. Right? First thing, 
go to the temple and speak. Even though the people, the most powerful people in your culture just came and got you from there and arrested you and put you in this public prison, go back and speak. And they do. Which is smart to obey the being that just took you out of prison in some way, right? Or the person describes an angel, whatever it is. It's crazy. Um, So from there, we have this. Now when the high priest came and those who were with him, they called together the council, all the senate of the people of Israel, and sent to the prison to have them brought. They're going to have this big meeting and come and question them and all this stuff. But when the officers came, they did not find them in prison, so they returned and reported, We found the prison securely locked and the guards standing at the doors, but when we opened them, we found no one inside. Now when the captain of the temple and the chief priests heard these words, they were greatly perplexed about them, wondering what it would come to. And someone came and told them, Look, the men whom you put in prison are standing at the temple teaching the people. Then the captain with the officers went and brought them. This is, this is intriguing and important. They brought them, but not by force, for they were afraid of being stoned by the people. What is, why is that important? What does this show has happened with the people? Not what they were hoping for sure. What does it say about about this time, about this body of people, this group of people, if the chief priest, the giver of religion to the people, is afraid to take a certain group of men by force, lest he be stoned by people? What does that say? You may have lost the political and spiritual power. You've lost political and spiritual power of people at this point. What they had to offer was not enough, number one. What they had to offer the people, this guilt, this shame, this law, this following an order, this cultural tradition even, was not enough for people to be swayed towards them from the kingdom of heaven that was at hand. From the spirit of God moving amongst people the establishment wasn't enough for it. Here's the deal. I honestly want to find great hope from that. To think that Jesus in us really, really trying to be a blessing first, really trying to say, no, the kingdom of heaven at hand is more important than this Christian subculture that I have to follow the rules for. I really want that to sway people. I really want to believe that this Christian subculture that probably a lot of us don't like, or we probably wouldn't be here in a small, dingy room meeting together like this, we would be somewhere pretty with better everything to look at and to listen to, probably, and all these other things, we would probably be there, but you've said, no, I don't really, I don't want that. I've said, no, I don't want that. But it seems to have all the power over the voice of Christianity to me. It seems that the world still sees Christianity out of their mouths. Out of the mouths of this bubble. Out of the mouths of people that I grew up subject to, even. You know? And I I want to believe very hard that the kingdom of heaven at hand 
this new way, it's not new, it was the way, this way, the way of generosity, the way of sharing, the way of inclusive faith community, that way, I want to believe that sways the world. I do. And I want to believe that can be loud. And I want to believe we can be the voice of it in a way that really changes things. Really. And seeing it have some sway and power is encouraging. And it just feels right. right? I don't know. So, it goes on though. I thought about that when we were talking the other day at Hopson Green, this passage. So it goes on, and someone came to them, says, you know, the guys in prison are out talking. The captain and the officers went to get them, not by force. They were afraid of being stoned by the people. When they had brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest questioned them, saying, We strictly charge you not to teach in this name. Yet, here you are, filling Jerusalem with your teachings, and you, in, you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. What are they talking about? Whose blood upon us? Jesus. You are trying to convince the people that his blood is on our hands, is what the chief priest says. We told you not to, right? Two chapters ago. What do they do? They threaten them. They bring them in. They threaten them. They say, don't speak and teach anymore in the name of Jesus. The apostles are like, well, you judge for yourself what we're supposed to do. They go back, pray. The place is shaken, right? They continue to do amazing things. The miraculous continue. They continue to share. They continue to do greater things. They bring them in now and they say, look, we told you not to do this. We warned you. And yet you were content to continue? They're beside themselves. And then Peter and the apostles answer, we must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God has exalted him as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and the forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses of these things. And so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey. They're like, look, we, we are experiencing the, the reality of this. We, we can't stop talking about it because look at the Holy Spirit through us. They're like, dude, Peter just healed someone with a shadow. How are we going to be like, oh, well, okay, we won't talk about it. It might not be true. No, they're like, we, we, what are we going to do? Like, we're too, we're in. Look at the people. We're sharing everything. This is beautiful. They're like, this new way is too good. We can't stop this. It's kind of what they're saying. Like, look, you did kill Jesus. Number one, you did. Number two, we saw him get up. We've met him. We've been healing in his name. Crazy things have happened. The Holy Spirit is teaching us our place in this world right now. We're not sorry. This, this is not stopping. It's not stopping. When they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. Where else have we heard something like that? Quote may have been, when they heard him say these things, they immediately sought to destroy him. Who was that? It was Jesus. Jesus' teaching against what they say is right by God and the Son of God and all these things. And they say, oh, we need to destroy him right now. They immediately begin to seek how to do that. Here, we find again a parallel to the life of Jesus. They say, we immediately, we want to kill them right now. And what do they want to kill them for? Doing all these good things. Which is crazy. All right. Okay. So they want to kill him. But a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, held in honor by all the people, stood up, and he gave orders for the men to be put outside for a little while. And he said to them, men of Israel, take care of what you're about to do 
with these men. So this sober voice stands up, Gamaliel, and he's held in high esteem, um, a great teacher, uh, really apparently intelligent um, historian of the law, stands up and he says, get the guys out. He says, look, mind yourselves. Be careful of what you do next. He's talking to the Pharisees and Sadducees, the whole council of Israel right now. He says, be careful of what you're about to do and listen to the beauty of what he says. For before the days, before these days, Thaddeus rose up, claiming to be somebody. And a number of men, about 400, joined him. He was killed, and all that followed him dispersed, and it came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean rose up in the days of the census, drew away some of the people after him. He too perished, and all who followed him were scattered. So, in the present case, I tell you, keep away from these men, and let them alone. For if their plan or this undertaking is of man, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. In fact, you might even be found opposing God. So they take his advice. So what he says, basically, he gives two other examples. Because they've had uprisings in Israel before, against Romans, against the state of Israel, against these things. And they killed them. The people scattered. Nothing becomes of it. Maybe for a couple weeks they meet to still try to do something, right? But it's nothing. The movement comes to nothing. Twice, he gives two stories. And he says, this one too. We just killed Jesus, the starter of the way, that didn't have hundreds and hundreds follow him to death, right? At time he had hundreds, and then he sent them away. <laughs> Bad choice for getting the crowd together for Jesus, right? All these things. He says, look, if this could be the same thing. Let them do their thing, it'll pass. But if it doesn't, this, this Pharisee says, if it doesn't, it doesn't pass. It is something we don't want to be opposing. Because everything that's happened right now is powerful. Things that have happened right now, the people find good. The people, the things happening right now caused us to be afraid to seize them in public or we might be stoned. He said, be careful or you're going to be opposing God himself. That's fairly beautiful, in my opinion. That's very wise, Gamaliel, no wonder. Everyone respects you very much, right? So surely, they listened, and surely they're like, good call. But instead, what they do is they say this. They took his advice, except when they called in the apostles, they beat them charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus, and they let them go. Then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple, and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that Christ was Jesus. So a few other things, too. We, I don't want us to gloss over this either, and not for fear's sake or whatever, but just to really talk about it. So, I don't want to ask like this, it may be very in poor taste, but probably a lot of us haven't been beaten, really, right? You may have gotten in a fight once, like lost or something. I've, I've lost a fight, I had my nose broken. That's as beaten as I've like been as a person, right? And it still wasn't pleasant, right? It wasn't fun, it was embarrassing. You go to school and your nose is destroyed and you tell why, so there you go punched in it repeatedly and I lost. It's not good, right? To be beaten up. But 
we, we again have to see this as real people in a real situation. They arrest them, which is bad, looks bad. Especially in their culture, a shame-driven culture in a lot of ways. To be arrested and put in a public prison is not a good situation for you. Especially when you're supposed to be a leader of people. Then they beat them. When they beat them, we, we picture it being very clean and tidy, this beating that they received, right? It's never that way. A beating is never that way. If, if anything in history of any writing ever, if someone is beaten by a group of people or by an organization or a powerful people or a group, an organized situation, it is not good. It's not a good look. People throughout scripture that we're going to see later, numerous beatings, cripple them. They give them epilepsy. They cause death early. They maim them so they can't work forever, right? They make them real ugly forever. I mean, just the fact of like not being able to fix what they break on you and what they change on you is is bad, okay? And then think about it too. What if it's your husband that just got arrested and then really beat that's, it's a sobering, pausing effect. If someone has to bring your husband home, he's beaten, or if he comes home and you don't want your kids to see him because he looks bad, that's it's not a good scenario. It's, it's not just like we're thinking because it's a story. Oh, they beat him, and then they were happy when they left. Must be okay. Must have punched him twice. Like, no, they, they hurt him real bad. They tried to show everyone to not follow this, because if you do, we will do this to you. So it had to be something. It had to be something of significance, right? And so I just, I want us to remember, too, that when we read that they were beaten and then they rejoice, that meant something. I mean, it means something for, not to make it overly, overly personal, to be weird, but... David and Brian are really, really beaten. When they come home, you might have real thoughts about the thing you're a part of. Just beat them bad. I mean, like, that's, we would all feel that way, you know? I mean, you're, are your kids afraid to be a part of it if they beat their father badly, you know? I mean, I mean dang, when I had my appendix taken out, Asher was worried about his appendix for like a year. <laughs> Just... Because I couldn't walk around very well, so he was like, do I have an appendix? And I was like, yeah, yours is good, though. He's like, are you sure it's not broken? I'm like, I'm positive. You're fine, right? And that's his appendix, something he doesn't even comprehend and can't see. I was just weird for a while, right? That freaked him out enough. What are the conversations like if someone beats their father and we tell them, oh, it's because of church? (laughs) Or because of Jesus we pray to at night? That's just different. It's, it's messier than we think. It's, it's not a tidy kingdom, is what I'm saying. These churches are not tidy. They're not sterile and fine. They're not... It's, it's just hard for us to relate. It's hard for us to relate. And in here, we see this new recipe begins to even push the kingdom further, and it's persecution. And here, right here, it starts to be really, really serious, the persecution that the status quo, that the powers 
of the land, the powers of culture, the powers of religion, will press against people to squelch the way of Jesus. To squelch true inclusive community, to squelch real power, the miraculous, to put to end this sharing way, they are trying to do it now. The way of Jesus starts to find actual persecution, actual punishment for being around. And the thing is, we can't be so separated in history from it that we think that was an easy, simple choice. Hopefully it was natural for them to just continue, right? Because they go rejoicing. They were even counted worthy to suffer. They, they rejoice because they were found to be enough a part of Jesus to be beat like he was beat, maybe, right? And they, they find joy in that. But this was still not a simple decision. How did their families discuss this? What did their kids and their, and their little brains think about their fathers being beaten? What did the church have to do because some of them might not could work for a bit because they were beaten? What, what took place after that wasn't as tidy as we think. We have to remember that. We have to remember that this was... It's not as easy as us deciding to present our website to the world. Okay? You know, it's not the same. It's not the same. But we see persecution come in the mix here and begin to be this key formula for the dispersion of Christianity. It's not called Christianity yet, but the dispersion of this following the way of Jesus, this Holy Spirit. And we see it as this key ingredient in the church beginning to move forward, which, of course, the powers that beat them and threaten them did not intend, right? They obviously wanted it to be the other way. And so here's kind of the, the thought as we, as we look at this, kind of what, what comes next, I think we'll, we'll have more in common with. But I do want us to think through the, the way our community disperses the kingdom, right? And what are the ingredients of that? What do we say those are? And I'm worried, during different conversations with some of you, I'm worried that what we think the key ingredients may be or what we want them to be, maybe not what we think, but what we want them to be is like us being super nice, right? Um, us having a really good service here, like Todd singing really well or something, I mean, teaching very intriguingly or something, and then people just thinking we're just the greatest nice people. And so they want to be a part of what we're doing. And I, y'all wouldn't say that, but I'm, I'm worried the way... I just don't want us to live that way, is what I'm saying. I don't want that to be what we think the key ingredients are, and us continue to put them in the pot and stir them differently and stir them differently and use different words for them and then see what ends up happening. I'm not saying either we should go and get beaten. That's not it. That's why I started the way I'm saying. But I just want us to, again, be looking at the ingredients for what is moving the church forward this against culture sharing, this continuing to meet together and be together and create a oneness with each other, this miraculous that continues to happen over and over and over again, this giving of each other over and over and over again, 
And then now, what's going to enter the mix is persecution over and over and over again for these people. I mean, extreme. Not just arrested and threatened. Not just, you know, I've had friends arrested for protesting that, like, homeless folks can't sleep on park benches, and that's great, and that's in some ways persecution. They have that on their record. They have that over and over. That's, like, the least of, I mean, this, this arresting was the beginning of this long, drawn-out systematic persecution of these people. And I, I just want us to be thinking through how we see our church moving forward and the Church Universal in Austin moving forward, how we see um, this different way of doing church move forward, how we envision that to happen, how we thought it would be easy or hard, how we wanted it to be tidy or clean or allow us to at least be socially acceptable. I, I don't know what we're wanting and hoping for, but we need to have that and look clearly at this too. We need to have our view of what we were hoping for church to be and how nice and cool or tidy or whatever, and then look at a church that changed the world and just hold them up to each other a little and sort that out in restore group. Sort that out in conversations at lunch with your family. Sort that out mm, as it goes. I think that's okay to leave us with that, I think. Um, and have, a, have communion with that in our heads. So let's do this. Let's stand together.